from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. From the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Amen. From the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, you will find these words. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I looked, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must Permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Saints of God, today I want to talk to you from the thought, a godly leader is a prepared leader. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. A godly leader is a prepared leader. 
As we have been discussing over the last few weeks, we are dealing with the book of Nehemiah as it relates to leadership. There's no better time for leadership to shine when chaos has ensued. There's no better time for leadership to sign when the walls have been broken down. And this is the scene at which Nehemiah sets. This is the scene at which Nehemiah is in. The walls of Jerusalem have been burned. The houses and the temple have been destroyed. And in the midst of the perplexities and chaoticness and the downtroddenness of this time, a leader emerges, a leader by the name of Nehemiah. We've also discovered that Nehemiah wasn't a particular vocational leader. He wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't anyone of the vocational religious leadership. But you know what he had? He had the Lord on his side. And we contended with the contemporary church that every baptized, born again believer is a leader. Because if you're baptized and born again, you got the Lord on your side. There is a great work to be done in the world that we live in. There are many issues that need to be addressed. Just here in our benevolent offering, we are trying to help come alongside a ministry that's trying to address one issue, the issue of sex trafficking. But that is not the only issue in the land. That's not the only place that, that downtrodden and, and, and discouraged folks need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I believe that's why God left so many of us here. Because when we were saved, God could have just called us up to glory. But he left us down here to make a difference in the world. To make a difference, to build the kingdom of God. To come alongside those who have thrown in the towel on life as it stands. That we would come along and show them a new life. Where that discouragement is no longer a factor, but encouragement because the peace of God dwells within us. And that we want to share that same gospel, that same good news with those who are broken. That the one who fixes that which is broke will come into their lives and fix up the things where they've been broken down. But that calls for every baptized born-again believer to take a stand. To take a step toward the good, to be willing to take a risk. Because God's business is risky business. As we have seen with the Old Testament prophets and the apostles of the New Testament, amen, just in the word of God alone, it could cost you your life. But he who loses his life will gain it. Because no man can take your soul. These bodies are going to the grave one way or another, amen, but our souls are going back to God. Don't ever forget that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So all 
anyone could possibly do if God allows is rush us into the hands of Jesus. And the last time I checked, that is our destination. That is our goal. We're just pilgrims in this barren land. But we got a home not made with hands. We live in a kingdom that's not of this world, but a kingdom not of this realm. So it matches with us that we ought to take a stand for God in the midst of a world that wants to do everything else but follow God. So we have a leader here by the name of Nehemiah who's got to stand up against opposition because the world does not like the Lord nor the things of the Lord. It is evident in this story because Nehemiah speaks of that the Judean walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned. Those things represent God and the world didn't have to have anything to do with it. So therefore the Babylonians had come in and caused destruction. On the northern side the Assyrians had had utterly destroyed the northern kingdom because guess what? They don't care about the things of God. But God is still raising up a people that will not throw in the towel, who will not give in, but will stand for righteousness sake. That things that have been torn down can be rebuilt again. It is the Lord that says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Failure is not final. Everyone in here, including me, has experienced failure. But if you take a few minutes and look at it, you realize that failure is not final. At the end of the day, it is God who has the last say. And even when the church, even when the body of believers, even when the individual members go through trial and tribulation, amen, know that even in the midst of the storm, God is with you. Realizing that God is using everything for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God. And sometimes God has to shake things up a bit to get our attention. He has to shake things up a bit to remind us that it is he who is the king and not ourselves. Sometimes he has to scatter and he has to sin one way or another and has to bring about discomfort so that we will stop looking at one another and start looking at God. So in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this issue, here is a baptized, born-again believer. Amen. I know from an Old Testament perspective, that's not how salvation came necessarily. But we can use this as a metaphor for every contemporary believer. Because he was baptized in the Spirit of God, there is no way he could have had a heart for God without the Spirit of God. It is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to give us a heart that is a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So we see in our text that a godly leader is a prepared leader. In our text... If, if, if the, to the uninitiated, we see some things in that first verse of chapter 2 that may not be clear when you first look at it. 
But in the first verse, I contend with you today that leaders must be patient. Well, preacher, why do you say that? Well, let's take a look at the text. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. To the uninitiated, what we may be missed is that when Nehemiah first heard the news of the destruction of Judah, of Jerusalem's gates and walls broken down and gates were burned, we find in the text it came to pass, chapter 1, verse 1, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. As I was in Shushan, the citadel. The month of Chislev is December. The month of Nisan is April. Four months have passed since the man of God has prayed to the Lord earnestly about his request for God to step in and do some things so that he might be used to make a difference back home in Judah. I contend that the man or woman of God must be patient because this was four months of nothing. Four months of prayer, four months of calling on the name of the Lord, four months and nothing happened. I don't know about you, but in our microwave generation, we tend to want everything right now. 10 seconds or 10 minutes is too much, more or less, 10 days. And here this man has waited four months and nothing has happened. It even says in the text he hadn't even been sad in the presence of the king. Nothing has happened. God has heard him, but God has not responded, at least responded in the way that he perceives. And I want to say to you, saints of God, amen, just because God does not answer your prayer that you prayed on Sunday by Saturday does not mean that God is not working. It does not mean that he has not heard you. It does not mean that he has said no yet. But God is calling us to be a patient people because patience is a virtue. God wants to see, are you going to trust me? Even when you don't hear me, will you trust me? Even when you don't see things change the way you think they ought to, Will you trust me? Even though you're just looking for some movement, but yet everything is still at a standstill, will you trust me? If God has given you a burden, you must believe by faith that God is going to carry your purpose with your burden through. But he's just trying to see, will you trust me? When you can't see, will you trust me by faith? 
So we find, first of all, that a prepared leader, amen, is one who is a patient leader, amen. One that can wait on the Lord. For they that wait on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. Amen. But waiting doesn't mean that you're just sitting on your couch with your arms folded, watching a rerun episode of your favorite sitcom. No. Waiting means you're trusting the Lord and you're acting appropriately as if you've already begun the process and have seen the manifestation of God's answer. Watch what I say in the text because we find that planning has come into Nehemiah's life. By the time the narrative between verse 1 and verse 8 of chapter 2 is complete, there has been some back and forth. There's been some dialogue, amen, with the queen sitting right beside King Artaxerxes. Not only did the king, after seeing that his countenance has fallen, he was sad, amen, he asked him a question and that Nehemiah was ready with a ready answer. But even in that, Nehemiah didn't trust his own wisdom. He trusts the wisdom of God. Because if you look at the text, when the king asked him the question in verse 4, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. When you're walking in the purposes of God, prayer is essential. And it's not a one-time thing, but it is a continual lifestyle. Remember how Jesus said men ought always to pray, Luke chapter 18. It is a lifestyle, and that Nehemiah understood prayer. And ain't that something? He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't some special called out, but he understood prayer. That's why every baptized, born-again believer's got to understand prayer because prayer is the essential thing. At the end of the day, no matter what your vocation is, you're doing nothing except you do it by God's power. As we have seen so many times, John 15 and 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So if you're going to do the will of God and do it correctly, you got to be a praying man or woman of God. Because you get your instruction from the Lord. And it is a moment by moment, situation by situation endeavor. Amen? So we find that, that by the time the king begins to ask questions, amen, and he prays to the Lord God of heaven that he has a plan. He has a plan, so he hasn't been just sitting on his hand somewhere and saying, well, when God gets back to me, I'll start doing something. No, he went by faith. He began to plan. He began to look at what he had to do. He knew he would need to have letters to have safe passage. He knew he would need to have resources to rebuild the gate. He worked on this plan while God was saying nothing. I think that's very instructive for us saints of God. If God has burdened you with something, amen, even though God is not saying anything, you ought to be planning. You ought to be counting up the cost. 
says a, wild, a wise master builder will not start building until he has first counted up the cost. So a godly leader is a prepared leader that plans, is a prepared leader that's patient. So you ought to be getting your ducks in the row. You ought to be looking at, well, what is it going to take for in order to do this? God has burdened my heart with this and have a plan together. Because you don't know how God is going to bring certain people into your life to fulfill the things in your plan. Because God is the God of the whole earth and everything that's in it. But just because you don't see movement right now, you need to get about the Father's business. You need to believe God before it even happens. Jesus showed that when he had the 5,000 who needed to eat. He trusted God that God was going to prepare a way to feed 5,000 even though they just had two little fish and five loaves of bread. A little lad's lunch. How would this be enough for 5,000? But Jesus, without seeing enough food, he believed God and prayed. And he asked God to bless it. And then God went to work doing what God does in miraculous ways. And so God is saying to us, that's how you got to walk. If you're going to be a godly leader in God's kingdom, you got to walk by faith and not by sight. When things don't look like you got the proper resources, you got to know that the God that you serve has got all resources in his hand. And that you can walk in the newness of life when folks start to doubt and folks start to talk against what you're trying to do. You believe God and not man. So we find that a godly leader is a prepared leader that's patient and that plans. But we also find out that when a godly leader plan is in play, that the devil gets to work and gets to getting in the way. Uh, one of the things we see in our text, amen, is when we come on down to verse 10, we find out that Sanballat, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of this work that Nehemiah was planning, this work that he was initiating by the power of God. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Saints of God, I want you to know that everybody's not going to be on your team when you're trying to do something for the Lord. As a matter of fact, you're going to have a lot of detractors. You're going to have a lot of folk who, who said they was going to be with you. They're going to get jealous. They're going to get envious. They're going to get off of your team. They're going to talk about you. They're going to scandalize your name because that's the nature of man. And not only will you have that problem outside of the church, you will have it on the inside too. Because in reality, the majority of those with inside of a church body are mostly lethargic anyway. And so what you do is indict others when you start to step up and step out. Amen. Because a lot of folks just want to stay where they're at. But when you start to move, you shine light on their lethargicness. And people don't like that. The flesh don't like that. So you might as well expect it. You might as well expect that everybody won't be standing up and cheering and saying, go girl, go boy, because it ain't going to happen. 
But once you get past that realization, you're in good shape. Because you find out that you ain't serving man no way. You serving God. So if nobody gets on the team with you, God is more than enough. He's more than enough against a world that's against you. You just got to go with the law. And if you look at the text, amen, up to this point, you don't see a lot of folks getting on the bandwagon with Nehemiah, do you? You, you see Nehemiah going up against opposition, going up against risk all by himself. But he's not by himself, and you ain't either. Amen? Because when you go up against risk, when you go up against opposition, the Lord is with you. He says, Lo, I will be with you even till the end of the age. Reverend Stephen, so when you don't see folk, amen, you got something greater than folk in the first place. You got God. So in the midst of your execution, in the midst of your planning, a lot of times you need to be quiet about what you're doing anyway because all you get most of the time is naysaying and discouraging words, amen. You might as well move in what you're doing, amen, from the very beginning. I am so sure that when New Zion was formed, amen, when Pastor Levi, amen, was, was trying to get this church off the ground, that there was folk all over the place saying, I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know why he's trying to start a church. I don't know why he's doing this. And, well, he's just trying to do his own thing. All this kind of stuff. Ain't consulting the Lord. He probably ran up on a much, much, much discouragement. He ran up on an opposition. But you know what? He trusted God. He trusted God. And today, here is New Zion. Because he trusted God even in the midst of the discouragement. There was discouragement probably family members didn't know about. There were things going on, but he kept on pressing. And you know what? You're going to have discouragement too when you try to work for the Lord. But you got to press on. Because you don't know what kind of legacy God wants to leave through you. You don't know how lasting the work that you do for the Lord is. Even if you're doing it all by yourself. Because you're doing it with the, with the stamp of approval of God. But I see in this text as well uh, that Nehemiah not only had risk, but he had opposition. And he had opposition from folk who weren't Judean, who weren't Persian, who weren't Medes. Look at the text. It says, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite were greatly disturbed. These are two different factions, two different tribes, amen, who aren't Judean, but they are enemies of Judah. And they have come together in disturbance toward Nehemiah. When you do something for the Lord, enemies will become friends for a common enemy. And when you're doing something for the Lord, you'll become a common enemy more often than not. But don't be discouraged and don't be dismayed because that's how it's supposed to be. Because when your enemies come in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against them. See, all 
that enemies do when they come against you and they talk about you and they scandalize your name, they try to put up traps to cause you to fail, all they're doing is putting a stamp of approval that this is God's will in your life. So actually, as the more they get rougher, the more you ought to be confident that you're on the right track. These words are instructive because we're living in a time when there, are, there is a lack of leadership in the world, but yet we need leadership all the more. Our world is going to a proverbial hell in a handbasket. All kinds of stuff is going on. We were talking about that today. Just the other day I was reading that in Albuquerque that a mother and her boyfriend, along with the boyfriend's cousin, had, had shot the little girl that was the mother's child with methamphetamines. They had raped her and then dismembered her and then buried her in a shallow grave. You tell me we ain't living in an evil and perverse world. Every time we turn around, somebody's being shot. Kids used to care about kids and stop stuff. They don't care about kids or nothing else no more. So this is a time when God's leadership needs to be the strongest. This is a time when the church needs to be the church. Every baptized, born-again believer ought to be praying to the Lord for a purpose in their life to move forward, to become a light, become someone that's a sentinel against this evil that's ever so present in our lives. Because that is what he has left us here to be. He's left us to be lighthouses amongst a stormy sea that when ships are trying to find their way, they can find safe passage, they can find direction at the lighthouse. But as I close this text, I want you to know that God has shown us in the book of Proverbs that he is sovereign. In the book of Proverbs chapter 21, we find a proverb that's interesting in its analogy. Because a lot of the proverbs stop with the analogy, but don't give necessarily a conclusion. But in chapter 21, verse 1, it talks about the channels of the water in the Lord's hand. It talks about how the king's heart is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. But he doesn't finish right there. He says that he turns them whichever way he wishes. You got to know today that God is not sitting in heavenly places, wringing his hands, wondering if things are going to work out. Will uh, unsaved, unregenerate men and women decide to do what he wants them to do. No, no, the Lord that you serve and I serve, he's a sovereign God and the whole world is in his hand. That boss or that politician or leader, pastor or preacher, pimp or prostitute, drug addict or drug pusher has their heart in the Lord's hand. And he does with their hearts what he wants to do because God is sovereign. Saints of God, that's good news 
today that you know that God can turn your life around and God can take your purpose and open doors where doors have not been before. He can open windows and pour you out a blessing that there be not room enough to receive it. But you got to believe it. The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. But saints of God, when you're waiting on the Lord, you got to keep on pressing and you got to keep on planning because godly leaders are prepared leaders. Saints of God today, I contend and encourage you that if there's a burden on your heart, don't wait for the official clergy in order to get your stamp of approval. Your stamp of approval was given by God before the foundations of the world. We found out yesterday at the nursing home that is by grace we are saved through faith. Not of our own works, lest any man should boast. But we found out that we were predestined to good works, that we should walk in them. Each one of you have been predestined to carry out some good work. So be about the Father's business while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man can work. Be like the Christ and redeem the time. For three years he ministered in the dusty streets of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. He ministered in the way that God had called him to minister. And at the end of his life, he ran the race that was before him out to a hill called Golgotha's Hill. They put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet. And on that cross, he died for you and for me. But that's not the end of the story. They took him down from that old rugged cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. He was in that tomb for three days and three nights. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. And that power is available to you if you want it. That you can carry out his will in the world. Because after a 40-day layover, he stepped out on a cloud and went back to glory. And the Bible says that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. Jesus has not forgotten you, and he knows just where you are. So keep on pushing in the name of Jesus, and he will see you through. God bless you, and God keep you, is my prayer. Amen. Praise the Lord. The doors of the church are open.
Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, has paid a price for everyone that they will have the opportunity to come and to be a child of the King. So today we extend the offering that has been extended over 2,000 years ago. That no matter who you are, where you come from, what your age or socioeconomic level, that Jesus will save you. All you got to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. And Jesus will come in and he will clean you up. He will straighten you out. He will lift you up and he will place your feet on solid ground. But you got to start first by saying, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Because it is a free gift, but you've got to receive it first. In the name of Jesus, by no other name can men be saved, but at the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. You can know the Lord today. It won't cost you nothing because Jesus has already paid it all. You can come just as you are. Don't wait another minute, another second, nor another hour. Because another minute, second, or hour is not promised. You must give your life to the Lord today. Come unto Amen.